Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah chapter 26. This evening, Jeremiah is saved from death. Jeremiah saved from death. This chapter, chapter 26, should be studied along with chapter 7 because they both deal with Jeremiah's bold sermon that he gave in the temple. And the sermon is reviewed in these verses. And you'll see emphasis, uh, the emphasis is on hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God. Jeremiah preached exactly what God told him to preach. Jeremiah did not change any part of the message. He He didn't change anything that God told him to tell the people. He didn't change his message in order to please the people. The false prophets preached what the people wanted to hear. But Jeremiah preached what the people needed to hear. 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires or lusts, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers, many teachers. These people that Paul was, you know, was talking about it then and now, you know, th- these people who reject divine truth, they'll get rid of those preachers and teachers who insist on teaching and preaching God's word, divine truth. The people who have rejected divine truth, they will choose their teachers. And they will choose their teachers according to their own desires, their own lusts, and by their itching ears. In other words, the teachers that they choose won't condemn their desires. They won't, it, it won't condemn the lusts of the hearers, but it will tickle and scratch their ears, itching ears. It'll scratch the itching ears of the listeners by telling them they will tell them what they want to hear. And there are a lot of preachers today who are more interested in keeping a job than doing a job. So they adjust their message to please the people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, he says, We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. Those who reject divine truth, which is God's word, focus on being more tolerant and accepting and in their hearts and their minds, loving. They accuse the fundamentalists, that is, those who stick to the word of God. They accuse the fundamentalists of being narrow-minded, bigoted, and, and, they want to be, and they want to be known as tolerable and loving. So many teachers and different doctrines are tolerated, though divine truth is not. And the result is a congregation of comfortable, professing Christians listening to a comfortable religious talk that contains no Bible doctrine, that is, no essentials of the faith that point to holiness and salvation. In the blood of Christ. God commanded Jeremiah in chapter 1 verse 7. He said, whatever I command you, Jeremiah, you shall speak. Let's begin now in chapter 26 with verses 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Notice here, do not diminish a word. Underline that. Do not diminish a word ever. 
ever when we're speaking the word of God. Never water it down, never diminish it, speak it in its full truth. Again, God's word to us. Here in the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, it says, in the beginning. In the beginning refers to the part of the year between the day that the king ascended to the throne and the beginning of his first full year of reign that started in the spring, uh, which is in the month Nisan, which is uh, March to April, 608 B.C. This is a message that Jeremiah had already given during the time of Jehoiakim. And now it's repeated at the time of Zedekiah. Chapters 26 through 30 records the message that delivered the final words of God to these people before they went into their captivity. And the people were probably still coming to the temple as usual. There was this outward show of worship. And there was prosperity in the land at the time. And nobody seemed to be complaining. Because it looked as if God you know, was, you know, was, was being right on with them. But it looked as if now God was complaining and being cranky because of this message of judgment that Jeremiah was bringing. You know, it's, it's as if God was annoyed in making these prophecies when in reality the people were far from God and there was an awful sin in the land. Jeremiah was to keep on crying out against this sin. And his message is not to be a persuasive emotional request. That is, it's not to be a message that, that's, that's touching people's feelings. It's not, Jeremiah's message isn't one of sweet talking the people into turning from their evil ways. Jeremiah's message was, was to be a strict, authoritative announcement, and he's not going to leave out a single word of what God told him to speak. Jeremiah didn't have a choice as to the subject matter of what was to be said. Because he was told, as we have read, to speak all the words that I command you and do not diminish a word. Jeremiah, you tell him all that I've said and you do not leave out a single word. Verse 3. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, Perhaps... Everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. He's saying, hey, maybe, you know, after I, I tell them what I need, after you give them the message for me, maybe the people will listen this time. And maybe they'll stop doing wrong and, and, and I'll change my mind. Or he says, I will relent and not punish them for their sins. So when God relents, you know, here in some passages it says that when he changes his mind. When God relents, it doesn't mean that he's changed his mind. What he means is that the people have changed their mind. And if the people will change, God won't have to judge them. Instead, he'll bless them. It looks as if God had changed his mind. But the fact is that God will always punish sin. And he'll always forgive the sinner who will come to him in repentance. That never changes and it never will. And when a sinner who's been under the judgment of God turns to God, he's blessed and he's saved. It looks like God is the one who changed his mind. But the truth is, it's the sinner who's changed his or her mind. And God tells them that if they will change, then he won't destroy them. He won't judge them. Verses 4 through 6. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, 
to walk in my way, in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded. Then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. This was the warning that Jeremiah was to give to the people. If they didn't listen to God and start following the law of God, again, the word of God, and listening to the warnings of God's servants that he sent to them, then God would make this house that he's speaking about here, which is the temple, he's going to make this house like the temple in Shiloh, meaning it would be destroyed. Jeremiah was told to preach to the Israelites who were coming to the temple to worship. And verse 5 now is a part of the beginning of that message. Now, verse 5, verse 5, it involves a command from God. It involves the compassion from God. And it involves the criticism from God. So let's look at the command of God here in verse 5. He said, heed the words of my servants, the prophets. That's his command. To heed the words of my servants, the prophets. Now, these were the good prophets. Not the bad ones who were the false prophets and the corrupted prophets that were mentioned in chapter 23, verse 14. These prophets that God is talking about heeding brought the word of God to the people. And it was through, uh, through uh, uh, God through Jeremiah. And God through Jeremiah was urging the people to heed God's message. The word heed means to hear and heed or to hear and do. In other words, the people were to listen to the word and to do it. They were to obey it. And that exhortation still stands today. And it's needed more than ever today. We have to read and study the word and listen attentively to, uh, to it when it's taught and when it's preached. But that's not enough. We must also do it. That is to obey the word of God. Did you know that Jesus put a higher priority on doing the word more than teaching the word? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 19. I have several scriptures to, uh, you know, uh, supporting this. Jesus said, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, do it, obey it. John 13, 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if, notice the condition, if you do them. You want the blessings? Obey the word of God. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the scriptures, looks into the perfect law of liberty and, notice, continues in it, the condition. 
continues in the Word of God and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Again, the blessing comes in the doing of the Word of God. And then in John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments, that is my word, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And there's the test of do we really love Jesus? If we keep his word, Jesus said, those are the ones who love me because love is the basis of obedience. Then we have in verse 5 the compassion of God where he says next, whom I sent to you, speaking of the good prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them. And it was because of God's grace and God's love for the people that God sent the prophets to them to tell them the divine truth, to turn them from their evil ways. God's grace in seeing, is seen in sending the prophets to them. And he says, sending them early. Which means God gave the people plenty of time to hear the message and repent of their sin. And God is, is still today, over 2,000 years, the message of the gospel through Jesus Christ. So when we get to heaven one day, at those that... that rejected christ they're never going to be able to say they didn't know or they didn't have enough time to find out if men are lost it's going to be their own fault not god's because god has done more than enough to provide for their deliverance and then third in verse five we have god's criticism the last part of verse five notice but you have not heeded that is the message that i sent with the prophets you have not heeded that is, the people wouldn't hear the word of God, nor would they do it. They turned a deaf ear to God's message. They had, a, they had great spiritual advantage. They had a great, spiritual, they had a great uh, spiritual privilege. But they blew their spiritual chances by rejecting God's word. And we have a lot of people like that today. They don't read the word of God. They don't go to church consistently to hear the word of God taught or to obey the word of God. They live like the world, not like the word instructs them to. If you want God's blessings, don't be guilty of this criticism where God says you have not heeded whatever you do. Don't let God say this about you, that you have not heeded. Shiloh was the first place where they set up the tabernacle when they came into the promised land. And it was the place where the people would gather together to worship God. So when they first took the land, they didn't take the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't until David became king that the city of Jerusalem was conquered. And it was, it, Jerusalem was a strategically located city, which made it easier to defend but hard to capture the city of, of Jerusalem. The Jebusites lived in the city of Jerusalem through the time of David, so, that, so the center of worship was at Shiloh. That's where they built the tabernacle, and that's where the people would go to worship God on the holy days. But now, at the time of Jeremiah, at, his at the time of his prophesying, the area of Shiloh had already been conquered, it had been destroyed, and it was laying in ruins. There was nothing there but the, the debris and the ruins of that old city. And the Lord is saying here that unless these people will turn from their sin and start obeying the law of God and follow after the law and listen to the prophet's warnings, the temple and the city of Jerusalem would become like Shiloh. It would be destroyed and it would lay in ruins too. Now, this is a harsh, harsh message for the people to accept. 
And, and especially, you know, people who are trusting in the temple. And that's a hard message for anybody to accept who are trusting in other things to get them to heaven other than God. Because they think they're right. Again, it's a harsh message for people to accept who are trusting in the temple or anything else for their security. The people were looking at the temple as their guarantee for security. It's like telling people, hey, you need Jesus to be saved and you're not going to heaven. Why? I'm a good person. I go to church. I have my religion. But it's not good enough. Hey, I... I, I, I Pray to Buddha or Mary or Krishna, they, but they can't save you. And then people will get upset. Hey, I've been baptized. Well, sorry, getting you wet won't save you either. You see, their attitudes was this. Hey, as long as the people here that Jeremiah is giving the message to, uh, message to, the people were saying, hey, as long as we have the temple, man, we can't be conquered. So for Jeremiah to say that this place... And this temple is going to end up being destroyed and lie in ruin like Shiloh. That was very disturbing and upsetting to the people. It's like saying, hey man, unless you accept Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. They get furious. Verse 7 through 8. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. Notice that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, you will surely die. Man, when the priests and the prophets and all the people who were in the temple courts heard what Jeremiah had to say, man, they were upset. They got angry at Jeremiah's message. But they waited until he finished saying what he had to say. And then they grabbed him just as he finished his message. It says the priests, the prophets, and all the people took Jeremiah and they said, you will surely die. They were angry because he had spoken against the temple when he said it would be destroyed. Verse 9. Why have you prophesied? Notice they're, they're, telling, they're asking Jeremiah, Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be uh, like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. He, they, they said, Jeremiah, how can, how can you say you're prophesying in the name of the Lord when you're saying these things about our city and the temple? How can you say you're talking for God and you're, 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 you're saying what you're saying? This is what really upset them. To say that the temple was going to be a pile of rubble and that the city would be uninhabited. So all the people in their anger, they gathered together against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. The religious leaders, they got the people all riled up against Jeremiah and they were planning to kill him. And they had a trial and they sentenced him to death. Look at verse 10, 10 and 11. When the princes or the officials, when the, the princes of Judah heard these things, they come up from the king's house. They came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people saying, this man deserves to die uh, for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. So they made the accusation and then they charged him. This man deserves to die. 
Why? Because he's prophesied against this city. You heard, you heard him say so with your own ears. And because of this prophecy, they interpret it as being blasphemous. That's why I say, how can, how can you say you're speaking in the name of the Lord when you're saying that the house, that the, the house is going to be destroyed and, and nobody's going to live in this city? That, that's blasphemy. You say you're talking, about, talking for God and, and you're saying these things? So again, it, to them, it was blasphemous. So that made him guilty of death in their eyes. And he was prophesying in the name of the Lord. And if he's prophesying in the name of the Lord something, and something didn't happen, then that prophet was to be put to death. We see in Deuteronomy 18.20, it says, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, that prophet shall die. So they're thinking, they're saying, well, you, you can't be speaking in the name of the Lord because of the things you're saying. And the word says, because if a prophet doesn't do what, you know, uh, if, he, if he presumes to speak in the Lord's name, he said, that prophet shall die. So this is why they, they sentenced him to death. Verses 12 through 14, though it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was taken out of context in what they were saying. Verse 12, then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. So Jeremiah's reply to them is, hey, look, I'm only telling you what God wanted me to tell you. The Lord sent me. Notice, Jeremiah doesn't back off. He's been threatened to, ki- to be killed now. He's been threatened with death. I think a lot of, a lot of preachers might say, well, you know, you know maybe, maybe I did you know, say something that was a little, you know, not really right on, and, and he might start back, backpedaling. Jeremiah didn't back off. He said, hey, I was sent here by God, and I'm telling you what he told me to tell you. Jeremiah did what God told him to do. And Jeremiah then says, hey, God said for you to amend your ways. You guys stop your sinning, and you start obeying the law, the Lord your God. And if you do, he won't bring this disaster upon you that he's announced. And then he said, he's told them, okay, he's again reiterated, look, I've been sent by God. This is the message you have. If you do what he says, he's not going to bring judgment. He says, as for me, here I am. I'm in your hands. Do whatever, do whatever, whatever you want with me. Do whatever seems good to you. I mean, you know, do whatever you think is right. You see, men who have totally committed themselves to do the work of the will of God, these are men who won't back down in the face of opposition and danger. They're men who have no fear of death. They are convinced that they are on a divine mission. They are convinced that God has sent them and this is what God has told them to do. So he's told them what God told them to do. He's done what he was supposed to do. And now he says, hey, do whatever you want to do to me now. I've done what I've been called to do. I've done the will of God. You know, as far as I'm concerned, do it. you say, you want to kill me? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. Remember when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem? In Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit warned him, hey, that chains and tribulations were waiting for you. 
And his friends, they started to cry. And they said, oh, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want to see you ending up in jail. We, we, we don't want to see you getting hurt, so, so don't go. Paul says, what are you guys crying about? He says, I'm not afraid to be put in chains. He says, I'm ready to die for Jesus Christ if I have to. When you have that kind of commitment to Christ, you have no fear. So you stand up tall and you speak the word of God and you don't back down because you've been threatened. Why? Because you have made that kind of commitment to God. That I am, going to just, I am going to serve the Lord no matter what the cost. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All you do, Paul said, is you just promote me, man, when you kill me. Hebrews 13.5-6, the writer says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Quoting from Psalm 118.6. So when you have an attitude and a commitment like Jeremiah and Paul's, how do you threaten a man like those guys? With death. Death is no threat to them. Death is no threat to Jeremiah. They said, Jeremiah, you shall surely die. This man shall be put to death. He said that this temple is going to be like Shiloh. It's going to be destroyed and Jerusalem is going to, uh, is going to be leveled like Shiloh. And again, Jeremiah keeps repeating, I've only told you what the Lord told me to tell you. And if you people will change, then it will be that God won't bring the judgment on this place. But again, as for me, here I am. Do whatever you want with me. Verse 15. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves on this city and on its inhabitants, for truly, notice, for truly the, sword, the Lord has sent me to speak to you all these words in hearing. Notice how he keeps repeating what has been said to him. He tells the people, you're, going, you're only adding to your problems. You're only adding to, to your guilt if you kill me. Why? Because God has sent me to tell you all of these things. And so if you kill me, you're only making the judgment more severe for yourself. Verse 16. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Notice the change of attitude now by some of the people. Look at how the, the, the people are wavering now. Before the princes came down, they're joining with the priests and the false prophets and they're saying, hey, you ought to put this guy to death. And now the princes come down, the officials come down, and they had time to think. And the people turn with the princes and they say to the prophets, hey, you know, wait a minute. What has he done that's so bad? He's just spoken to us in the name of the Lord. Look at verses 17 and 18 now. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. 
In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Then some of the wise old men stood and spoke to all the people assembled there. They said, remember when Micah of Moresheth prophesied during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah? He told the people of Judah, this is what the Lord of, of, of hosts says. Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. So Micah, was that the, who they were referring to here, Micah was basically prophesying to the people the same kind of destruction that Jeremiah had just prophesied. And it was during the reign of Hezekiah who was a king who was leaning, he was a king that was leaning towards the Lord. But Jehoiakim, who is king right now here in our text, wasn't leaning toward the Lord, and he was an evil king. But they bring up the case of Micah, and he said, notice in verse 19, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all the Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So they said, hey, did Hezekiah and the people kill, kill him for saying this? He said, no. They turned from their sins and they worshiped the Lord. They begged him for mercy. And then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had pronounced against him. So we're about to do ourselves great harm. So by bringing up the case of Micah here, Hezekiah didn't put him to death. As a matter of fact, he repented. So that gave them a little more time. So he said, if we kill the prophet, we are only be, we'll only be bringing guilt on our own souls. And that ended this particular episode with Jeremiah. And then in verse 20, it tells us about another prophet. And it's sort of in contrast, you know, the opposite to what Jeremiah had done. Look at verses 20 through 21. Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king, with all of his mighty men and all of the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. You know, the opposite of what Jeremiah did when he was threatened with death. So rather than standing like Jeremiah did, Jeremiah stood up to them and said, hey, you want to put me to death? I'm in your hands. Do what you want. The other prophet said hey, he, he was threatened with death and he took off and he ran to Egypt. He said, but you're going to shed, if you kill me, you're going to bring innocent blood upon yourself and you're going to add guilt to, add to your own guilt. Instead, now Uriah, when he heard they wanted to kill him, like I said, he took off to Egypt. Look at verse 22 through 23. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, El Nathan the son of Achbor, and other men who went with him, uh, with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. So. Compared to Jeremiah, this other prophet is basically saying the same thing as Jeremiah. But when they sought to put him to death, he took off running. He took off to Egypt. But at this time, there was a, a, there was a treaty between Egypt and, and Judah. And Jehoiakim was just the, uh, the puppet king to the Pharaoh. He was actually paying taxes to the Pharaoh. 
So when Uriah fled to Egypt, he really went to the wrong place because there was a, a, this extradition agreement between Israel and Egypt at the, t- at the time. So the king sent men to bring him back, bring Uriah back, and when he was brought back, they killed him. But Jeremiah trusted in the Lord, and he stood up to the pressure. He stood up to the threats of being killed, and he lived. Uriah ran, and he was killed. Jeremiah stood up, and God delivered him. So basically, this is just a comparison of the two of them and their prophecies. Let's close with verse 24. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. So there were those who stood up with Jeremiah, and his life was spared. And you know, th- this is really a, an encouragement to us to trust God. You know, whatever situation we're in or get in, we trust God. God's in control. God has a plan. And you know what? If my time is done, it's done. But if, he, if he's got other plans, hey, he's going to deliver us. So again, it's very encouraging to us to trust God when we're in his service. Because another thing too, God has all men's hearts in his hands. He has all men's hearts in his hands. He does what he wants with them. You know, he can can change men's hearts like he changes the direction of rivers. So, again, it's a great encouragement for us to, again, remember that. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful encouragement, God, that your word gives us in times of distress, in times of, of, of threatenings, Lord, and and Father, in times when we look, there's no, like there's no way out, Father. Many times we've seen that in, in the scriptures, Lord, when the, when the men and women of God, Lord, served you. And Father, there was great danger and there was, there was times when it looked like nothing could be done. And then, Father, you, who promised to never leave us nor forsake us, you come and you do what you always do, God. There is a deliverance one way or the other, God. So may we look to you for all things, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sunday morning will be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 21.